Hey, Alabaster Jar listeners. Before we jump into the episode, Lynn and I wanted to make sure you were aware of a unique opportunity. That's right, Serene. Right now, Northern is offering a $50 Amazon gift card to everyone who applies and is accepted for the upcoming fall quarter. That's awesome. You know, I've been at seminary for a couple of years now, and one of the things that I've really enjoyed is the opportunity to be part of Northern Live. Uh, when I first started at Northern, I didn't have many local seminary opportunities, and Northern Live gave me the ability to be live over Zoom for uh, the teaching that takes place so I could actually interact with my professors and the other students in my cohort. And so that's been a wonderful part of being a student at Northern. Lynn, why do you think our listeners should think about Northern Seminary for their seminary education? Well, I think Northern really cares about the world and sees others through gospel lens. There's a commitment to gospel truth as evangelicals but compassionate action, which is also historically evangelical, um, this full and joyful flourishing that we want all of our students to enjoy. Biblical and theological studies, not for their own sake, but to make the world a better place in Jesus' name. That's what Northern is about. Mm, I love that. So listeners, if you want to be a part of Northern's goal to make the world a better place in Jesus name, you can take advantage of this unique chance. And you can um, have an opportunity to get a $50 Amazon gift card after getting accepted for the fall quarter. So go ahead over to seminary.edu slash AJ apply to schedule some time with a member of our admission team, or you can start your application today. So again, that's seminary.edu slash A-J-A-P-P-L-Y. Now, sit back and get ready for today's episode. Welcome to the Alabaster Jar, a weekly conversation where we take on current issues impacting women at the intersection of faith, theology, and ministry. We are pleased to offer Alabaster Jar as a podcast of Northern Seminary. Today, our host, Dr. Lynn Kohick, is talking with Christina Benham. Christina is a PhD candidate and lecturer in the history department at Baylor University. Her research and teaching focus is in early American history. Her dissertation project looks at the way diverse groups of Americans incorporated the Exodus narrative into public debate and conceptions of national identity between the American Revolution and the Civil War. Christina lives in Waco, Texas with her sister and three of the loveliest felines ever to walk the planet. Her main goals outside of academic work are volunteering with a grad student and international student intervarsity chapter at Baylor and working toward establishing a chapter of an honor society for students with disabilities at Baylor. We're so excited to welcome Christina to the podcast today. Yes, I am so excited. I echo Serene's welcome. Um, Christina, we've not met personally, but I was so excited um, to learn about your um, your thoughts. And to I, I read a chapter that you have in a book that was edited by a good friend of mine, Timothy Larson. Um, the book is an InterVarsity Press book called Every Leaf, Line, and Letter. Evangelicals in the Bible from the 1730s to the present. And your uh, chapter that looked mainly at the um, revolutionary period, uh, and it's called uh, British Exodus American Empire, 
evangelical preachers and the biblicisms of revolution. Uh, I thought, oh, this this sounds like a lot of fun to to dig into, and especially with the Exodus narrative, which even resonates today in a lot of our public conversation. Um, can you, yeah, can you tell me just a little bit about what drew you initially to this whole topic? Because you're spending your life now, your dissertation life, at least, exploring this. What what interested you about it? Um, well, I started as someone who was mostly interested in my research areas in the era of the American Revolution. And um, I've always been interested in how people combined religious and political ideas um, so, and I found along the way that the Exodus narrative became this um, key biblical narrative for the emerging American national identity. Um, <clears throat> and I found that really fascinating. And I, I actually first thought, oh, this could be a broader project when I found out it had a history in English political um, conflict. So in the English Civil War. But it wasn't until I realized that the uh, when the Confederacy during the American Civil War in the 1860s revived the narratives of the American Revolution as you know their own new national identity, they also revived the narrative of the Exodus, and which was you know obviously like immediately ironic because. At the same time, in between those years, the late 18th century and 1760s, you have a developing um, African-American religious communities who very obviously latch on to the Exodus narrative. And those three points sort of um, did it for me. That's what made me think this really could be a great narrative to, uh, to, to search out. So... Yes, and, and uh, your chapter, which I highly recommend, and I'm looking forward to the uh, dissertation coming out. Thank uh, you. Probably not as much as you finishing it, but uh, yeah. still, <laughs> you know, and so could you just maybe walk us through just a, a brief description of this Exodus narrative uh, and the way it shaped the imagination of those early writers? I, I found maybe four four or five ways in which it kind of shaped um, their imagination. Maybe you could sketch those for us. Yes, absolutely. So um, I think one of the first things that happened, um, so it's hard for people who don't study the era of the American Revolution to understand that Americans were deeply, well, especially white Americans, <laughs> were deeply British in the sense that the American colonies were very tied to um, the greater, greater British Empire. So when there started to be conflict, they used they needed a language to to explain what was happening to them. And so, um, and early Americans, you know, in this period and up through the Civil War, the era of the Civil War. The Bible was one of the most commonly known, used, and understood um, source of understanding of the world and um, stories to understand what was happening to them. And so they turned to the Exodus narrative and they used it, uh, especially in oppression, like, so they would use it about specific measures that the British Empire was doing and saying, this is, 
you know, this is just like Pharaoh expecting us to produce bricks without giving us straw or, you know, things like that. They would use that narrative or that specific spot a lot. Um, and then when, uh, when they, when the conflict started getting more intense, they started calling, you know, that's God will judge you for this oppression, just like he did, a, you know, Pharaoh. And so there were a lot of like very fun, um, quotes of people taking down the king um this would be later in the the timeline of the revolution like right before the war starts or right after um that he was going to be destroyed just like pharaoh um so that was the judgment part and then um no, and, yeah. and as you're talking about that, all I could think of is the two songs that King George sings in Hamilton. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, I think that probably captures uh, a lot of a lot of this. You know, you mentioned uh, in your chapter the Stamp Act. And of course, yes. most Americans know about the Tea Party. Right. But mm -hmm. uh, you you state that, in fact, um, and I, I really had I don't think I've really internalized that this this was open rebellion for these British colonists, right? Yeah. I mean, that they, I think of the Tea Party as, you know, go team, but you're right. saying, no, there's actually, uh, th this is actually rebellion. They, uh, they're using the Exodus narrative as a rationale or a way to think through their uh, civil disobedience instead of rendering unto Caesar what is Caesar's or following Romans 13 or, you know, did you sense there was this struggle? Yes, absolutely. That's, and you're hitting on the, I, what I think is the key turning point in the use of the Exodus narrative during the American revolution is that it started with these analogies that they could make to understand and argue for what they were upset about when it be started to form into what would be considered rebellion, um, there was this real theological religious problem with, um, is this allowed? Like, are we allowed to do this? Um, and like biblically, and um, they used the Exodus very, there were some uh, ministers who, a lot of the sources I use are sermons, um, and so they would use, for example, this is a great example because it pulls, it's one of the, one of the most key defenses of God being okay with um, disobedience to authorities is the women who were um, midwives to the Hebrews in Egypt. Because not only do they rebel and not do what Pharaoh had asked, which is to kill uh, male infants of the Hebrews, but he, they also, it also explicitly says that God blessed the women for doing this. Um, and so there were usages of the Exodus where it was a very, like, I'm making a theological, logical argument to try to make this move that it is actually okay to resist. Um, and, to, and they would distinguish that from um, resisting tyranny is different from rebellion. Ah, okay. Yes. 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 Very interesting. And yet some colonists identified 
those in their midst as tyrants because they owned slaves. Can you yeah. talk a little bit about how that becomes kind of this internal uh, discussion and critique? Yes. Um, so it's this is actually a classic um, thing in the history of the American Revolution. They were the Americans were getting outside criticism from people in England saying, um, "You have slaves, <laughs> and you're using this story about slaves like becoming a nation, becoming the Hebrew nation." Um, but there were actually internal debates. There were fellow Americans who were writing in newspapers and, and other um, frequently, unfortunately, in newspapers in early America, the, the writers were anonymous. Um, but you would get these people who would say um, anything from your hypocrites and this whole movement is tainted by the fact that you, <laughs> you're practicing your own even more real oppression, like physically enslaving someone. Um, all the way to people who said things more like, why don't we just go the whole length and free the free slaves as well? And we can all celebrate this new found um, freedom together. Uh, so it, it really ranged. Yeah. Yeah. You, you uh, cite, it was, I think, 1774, this fictional letter that was in the Connecticut Journal writing as if it was Pharaoh writing from beyond the grave, right? And writing to yes. Philemon, <laughs> yes, and saying, you know, the, giving a biblical argument for slavery and praising his friend in the land of the living, or taking up the glorious cause of slavery and, you know, just turning everything on its head in a satire. Yes, yes. Um, there, uh, For as many sources as I had, like, like these, I had to leave, I had to leave many out because... This was a very contentious point, and um, that was one of the sources I really enjoyed because uh, because of the the satire and um, yeah. This um, we're we're talking together now in in the month of July, and I had a vacation week this month also, and we were in Washington D.C. and I had never gone through the Smithsonian. National uh, African American Museum before, and so we were able to do that. And I highly right. recommend it for anyone. It is uh, inspiring and sobering, and at times gruesome and difficult for sure, but so beautifully done. Um, if I can use beauty in that, um, in a, in a deep way. Mm -hmm. um, we also, I also uh, saw again the Lincoln, um, the Lincoln Memorial, and I had not ever really focused on his second inaugural address. Part of it being uh, etched on the side of the monument, but I was struck especially um, this time with uh, how he talked about um, that that you had this nation broken apart. Uh, and he talks about how um, each side looked for an easier triumph. Um, both read the same Bible, both pray to the same God, and each invokes his aid against the other. Uh, it should seem strange, Lincoln goes on, that any men should dare to ask a just God's assistance in wringing their bread from the sweat of other men's faces. And, uh, and it sounds like those same 
ideas were present even at the time of the American Revolution. Absolutely, yes. As you talked about the um, the preachers, you mentioned the preachers, many of them uh, white preachers that you looked at. Um, you also mention from writing in 1774 again, a, a woman, Phyllis Wheatley, who I, I was not familiar with. Can you tell us her story? Yeah, of course. Um, Phyllis Wheatley uh, was a slave and she was, I believe, the first published uh, African-American writer. And she um, was purchased by a New England family who decided to give her an education and, um, and she became a poet. And so she's most well known for her poetry. Uh, which is what was published. And um, she is a bit of a controversial figure, mainly because she was not representative of American slaves. Um, she did not, in, in other words, she was not, she was not the norm of what a slave experienced, but she absolutely identified with the, uh, with other Africans in, in America who were enslaved. And so um, I use her in the chapter because she references the Exodus. And this is one of the first um, recorded evidence of um, the African-American perspective using the Exodus narrative. Um, although there are evidence of people who observed slaves really latching on to the uh, Exodus narrative as something that they identified with. But... Um, it was actually in a letter to Samson Occam, who was a Native American preacher, and they were writing about issues of race. and the, And she um, uses the Exodus and the idea that that's um, that they will someday all will be freed from from bondage. Who who would have read that that letter? Did she imagine it would only go to Mr. Ockham, or did she? Was this kind of a public plea? No, this was not public. No, she wrote on a lot of topics. Um, she did write on biblical topics and on well-known religious leaders. Um, so she would write poems about this. She would also write poems about her own experience. Her own spiritual experience, and um, she, there is a famous poem by her about coming to America and becoming a slave, and that it was God's um, way to bring her to the Christian faith. And again, this is a very controversial um, source today because, um, for obvious reasons, uh, you can't fault a, a historical person for their perspective of how things happened, but uh, you can take issue with someone taking that, what that person said and saying, oh, well, this justifies slavery in America. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> that, that would be problematic. Um, but yeah, she was a very interesting person and um, had a very deep mind from what you can see from her writings. Yes. And 
you, you mentioned she's not representative in the sense that few African-Americans at this time had the resources at their disposal. Was, was there a particular story similar to uh, Phyllis's? Was there a particular story that, that uh, really caught your attention? Maybe it had a, an end surprise ending or it, it, it especially was poignant and, and brought the, the time period home to you in, in a, a real way. So Lemuel Haynes, he, he does kind of um, encapsulate the tension in the era because he was an African-American preacher. Um, and he was actually, I mean, he was a free African-American in New England. And he uh, was the pastor of white churches. So this was a very unusual situation. Um, and he was very much in the, in line with the uh, general preaching about American, uh, what they called republicanism, not anything connected to modern political parties, but like uh, the type of new government that America was forming. Um, he, he very much believed in that. And, uh, but he, as an African-American preacher was not treated with the same respect as other, you know, preachers, his contemporaries. And so over time, especially you'll see, he becomes more bold and his, um, his, attention to the problem of slavery and racism in his age. And um, he does use the Exodus um, as well. It's a little bit, I think the source that I found was a little bit later than during the actual revolution, but I could be wrong. So, yeah. <laughs> but that's just like going, like my experience at the uh, Smithsonian National African American Museum, where the, just the history comes alive and it there's the a complexity to it. I think your chapter also highlights how how the so so many use the Bible as a source, but then took from the Bible very different meanings. Um, yes. and uh, and how there were also African American voices even at this time who yes. were speaking into where I kind of think that happens later, but it, it actually, from the very beginning, was a part of uh, the wider conversation. Yes, yes. Well, um, I, you do other things besides the, uh, uh, your work on the dissertation. Um, I know Serene had some questions about some other aspects of what you're working on. Yeah, Christina, I mean, we've been spending some time talking about your research, uh, which is so interesting, um, also deals with issues that um, took place in the past, but definitely affect us here today as well. And just thinking of your interest in working with students in varsity, I'd love to hear about um, maybe just how your interest in these research topics influence how you interact and, and teach and talk with uh, grad students and international students through InterVarsity. And you also mentioned that you have um, a goal of establishing a chapter of an honor society for students with disabilities. So uh, I think it would be really interesting just to hear about your heart for that, what led you to um, making that a goal for yourself, um, why you think that that's an important um, thing to focus on. Okay, yeah. 
Um, so I, I actually got involved in an university chapter during my master's degree. Um, and it's been such a help for me thinking through my, um, my faith and also my academic life, um, because of having groups of other grad students who were, who are fellow believers and also living the academic life, um, it can be a challenge. And so uh, I continued that when I came to Baylor. Um, I think that one of the things that correlates between my research and what is, has been happening in the chapter of InterVarsity at Baylor is that um, I'm, I've been a part of a chapter, there's actually several on campus. Uh, ours is called Unite InterVarsity and it was originally formed with the idea of bringing people together from different ethnic backgrounds. And um, it has sort of over the last several years morphed into this group that's about grad students and about international students. Um, but also ha we have this heart for um, dealing with issues of uh, racial injustice and um, bringing people together in a, in a setting where we can share um, scripture together. So that means a lot to me because of what I, what I study in the past, um, the complex settings where people try to um, bring together African-Americans and white Americans um, um, and frequently, unfortunately, fail. Uh, history can be a little discouraging sometimes. Um, so to be able to learn from people from other backgrounds, um, from other nations, and things like that, in a in a as fellow believers in a setting like InterVarsity has been great for me as a human <laughs> and as a believer. So. Yeah, absolutely. As you um, think of this, of looking at the past and looking at, even as Lynn was pointing out, um, the way that looking at scripture could, um, we can approach it from such different lens depending on our backgrounds. Do you have any um, words of encouragement or challenge to any listeners today that might be grappling with these issues of how to approach scripture in the midst of difficult topics and even as you're saying through intervarsity of, of uniting with others um, who might share different backgrounds or different life experiences anything that you've learned from your own experience that you feel uh, might be encouraging to our listeners uh, sure I think that the most important thing is to first of all approach these things with humility before God. Um, you have to start with the idea that I it's not about what I have experienced and what I think the Bible says. It should be about um, listening to God and and being corrected by His Word and. Um, and then after that, listening to others and understanding their perspectives. Uh, because my own experience is that I came from a very specific narrow background um, and the, the broader experience that I got through various settings and groups of believers, the more that I was able to understand people who were not like me. And that's absolutely crucial to approaching these kind of very difficult issues in the present. Mm, 
Absolutely. Um, and just uh, also to circle back around to your other area of interest, which is an honor society for students with disabilities, would you mind telling us a little bit about um, what that looks like, what your dreams are for the future with establishing that? Sure. Um, so this, I I can't take full, I can't take, take credit for this. Uh, I, in the sense that I did not initiate it, but I have, once it was presented as a possibility, I really have pursued it <laughs> doggedly. <laughs> I want this to happen. Um, so the, I, this is something I've been reading a lot about. And um, the reason is that I am a person with disabilities. Um, the biggest, like the most obvious one being that I have a disorder known as achromatopsia, um, which is an eye disease and it's extremely rare and it makes a person um, legally blind uh, extremely light sensitive and completely colorblind. And so um, as a person who wa walked through years of college work, um, just trying to do it on my own and finally learning to <laughs> I could reach out and ask for help um, and getting to the level of grad school and then a PhD program and then teaching in a classroom, um, I believe strongly in highlighting the success of people who have disabilities because um, unfortunately there is a very um, underrepresentation of people with disabilities in higher education and then when you get into grad school it's even harder um, the numbers are even lower and so being able to show people uh, in academia that people with disabilities um, aren't just like students that you can help make it through your class. They're actually people who can succeed and find um, a career or, or advance in academia to me is a, is a, a very important goal. Absolutely. You know, on this podcast, um, and Lynn could probably speak to this as well, we've spoken with women um, in both academia and ministry, and there always seems to be this common theme of a particular set of challenges that we as women face going into academia, going into ministry. Um, and then you're also highlighting for us another specific set of challenges, um, which is having a disability that affects um, your academic life and um, just life in general. And so um, I guess, is there anything that you've learned from your academic path of overcoming those challenges that maybe if there's a woman listening today that um, has a disability or is facing some kind of challenge in her life and she's deciding whether or not to keep pushing forward, um, anything that you could share from your own personal journey? Oh, I have to think, what would I pick? <laughs> um, <clears throat> I think that it's very important to find people that can be a good source of help. Um, it's, especially in the academic world, it can feel like I have to do all the things and I have to accomplish them well. And I have to, you know, be this bright shining star of, you know, achievement. And uh, those things are good, but, but that's not real life. And especially when you face many challenges, um, it's really important to build a good team of supportive people 
who are going to help you, who either are going to help you accomplish what you need to do, whether that's, I mean, a lot of universities have um, a lot of resources for students with disabilities, for example. Um, but a lot of times you just have to learn to, um, it's sort of a double, double-sided coin in the sense that you are leaning, you are learning to lean on others, but also learning to advocate for yourself. So helping a lot of times, especially if you're someone with a disability, they don't know what you need and they don't know how to help you. And so you have to learn how to ask for help, but also learn how to be, to um, be confident in that, that you can do this um, and, uh, and help other people to see that. Uh, I don't know if that, answers the question. That's great. Yeah. Thanks, Christina. That's, that is really good. And that, um, I think that idea of advocating for yourself, I love that phrase. I really yeah. think that that captures what you're, what you're talking about. Um, well, I have so appreciated talking with you uh, today, Christina, this has been so, just so much fun. I feel like I have a new friend. Oh, good. <laughs> Sometime when I make it down to Texas, maybe not because I'm in Chicago right now. So maybe oh. I'll wait until the winter time and then come down. <laughs> I was going to say, I wish I was in Chicago right now. Yeah, well, we're, <laughs> yeah, this is a nice time to visit for sure. Yes. But thanks so much for taking time out of your hot and sticky day to, uh, to join us in air conditioned uh, comfort and talk about some actually very, very serious and also uplifting uh, topics. And we're just grateful that, uh, that you've made time for us here at the Alabaster Jar. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to another episode of the Alabaster Jar podcast, where we take on issues that affect women at the intersections of faith, ministry, and academia. On today's episode, Dr. Lynn Kohek has been talking with Christina Benham. If you'd like to discover more of her work and the article that we discussed in today's episode, you can check out Every Leaf, Line, and Letter, a book by Ivy Press. And we hope that you'll join us right back here next week for another conversation.